Hey everybody, good morning. Glory to God. Man, it's so great to be here with you guys today. I'm so happy to see you all today. Uh, every campus, my name is Lee McDermott. And I'm just thrilled to be able to bring to you guys week two of our series called Marked by Victory. Last week, Pastor Brad brought the uh, Easter message of Romans 8 verse 1. Y'all drink this in with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. i got to be honest with you guys. That is something that I could hear over and over and over again every single day for the rest of my life and not get tired of. I mean, there is freedom and joy and power in that statement. So the entirety of Romans chapter 8, all of those verses is what this series is about. It's what we're going to be unpacking one week after another. And my responsibility is to bring us the next section of Scripture. Brad brought one, verses 1 through 4. I'm bringing verses 5 through 13. I'm pumped about it. Basically what this does for us, it, it, it helps us solve the problem of some, some really poignant questions for any believer. I mean, like for me, I know I've asked this question before, like I'm saved now and I know my life's supposed to be marked by victory. Why do I feel so defeated so frequently? Has anybody else ever, ever had that thought process before? Like here I am, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm trying to take a W in the war of my mind, but I'm getting handed L's every day. Does anybody else feel that other than me? You know, the battle for the mind is a difficult war. It is difficult. And verses 5 through 13 of Romans chapter 8 give us some sense of that battle and perhaps how we can begin taking some steps forward to be able to walk in some more victory. So I want to share a bit about my story with you guys and, um, you know, just so we can maybe take a few steps forward in gaining some of that victory. So here's what we're going to do today, y'all. I'm going to give you some background context of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, to set up chapter 8, which I think is going to really give you some, some lens for how to view all of this. We'll do a quick recap of verses 1 through 4, and then take a journey through 5 through 13, ending up in what I hope will be some tremendously practical ways that you can start to enjoy this marked-by-victory life. Is anybody ready for that? Can I hear an amen from you guys this morning? Okay, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so y'all grab a Bible and uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. Be ready to take some notes. I just believe with my whole soul God wants to talk to you today. Nobody is here by accident. Wherever you are, whatever campus that you are seated in right now, God has his eye on you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to speak to you. So as you take notes, either on the New Spring app, on, a, on, your, on your phone, or somewhere else like that, you know, this, this is my practice, to not just take notes on the speaker, but to take notes on the Holy Ghost as he, you know, get, just plants some things in front of you that, that may be life-changing for you. So as we dive in today, let's pray together. Would you join me? Abba Father, I thank you for the opportunity simply to be able to listen and hear your word. I thank you for the promise that faith comes from hearing, and hearing the words of Christ. And we believe, Lord, that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuke, for training in righteousness, so that the messengers of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that now as always with full courage, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 
Amen. All right, y'all, we're going to get some context right now. So we're going to hear about Paul, the church in Rome, all of this stuff to give us some sense of where we're headed. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. All right, y'all, let's do this. So the book of Romans is a book found in the New Testament just past the book of Acts. The first five books of the New Testament are historical records containing facts about the life of Jesus and the birth of the church. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The sixth book of the New Testament is Romans. It's a letter that Paul wrote to this group of Christians in this major metropolitan city in that particular period of time. So a little bit about Paul. His given name was Saul. He was born to a Jewish family in the city of Tarsus, which is in uh, north of Jerusalem in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he was a brilliant mind. He studied with the foremost Jewish scholars of his day. He was what you would call a Pharisee. And his life with Jesus began when, I mean, he was a man bent on killing Christians. You can read about his story in the book of Acts. But he was on his way to Damascus to imprison some more believers in the faith when Jesus met him on the road. Blinding encounter here, literally blinding. He was was struck blind for a brief period of time. Jesus came to him, subsequently healed him, and then anointed him to become an apostle. Which That word apostle means one who is sent. So think ambassador or emissary, someone who is sent from a particular kingdom to carry the culture of that kingdom and establish it in another place. That's what the word apostle means. So his letter to the church of Rome was written probably around the year 58 or so. And the church of Jesus at Rome would have been a collection of house churches, think one church in many locations, begun by Jewish Christians who would have gone to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, And if some of you guys want to know the story, you can look it up in the book of Acts. But in uh, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, all the believers were in the upper room. All of a sudden, here comes the wind and the fire. And all of a sudden, they all start speaking different languages. People outside hear the commotion and they think, these guys are hammered and having a really great party. Peter comes out and says, no, 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 no. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. What's happening is a move of God. And there was somebody there. Some, some Jewish Christian who didn't know Latin before the Spirit falls on them, they start speaking Latin. These Roman Jewish folks hear this. They get saved. 3,000 were baptized on that day, right? I mean, this is a part of the story. And those Roman Jewish people, now believers, take this back to Rome and establish this church. Paul did not personally know any of these people at the time. He was just communicating this encouragement, this gospel message to them at the church of Rome. So Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church while he was staying in the Greek city of Corinth. Due to bad eyesight, he dictated this to a man named Tertius and then sent it by hand, most likely via a courier named Phoebe, a woman who would have shown up in Rome with this message, manuscript, and she would have gone around to every house church and read and likely explained some of the text and given some of the the, the tone of uh, what Paul was trying to communicate to them. So Paul describes himself in the opening of this letter, not as some high and lofty scholar or somebody who knows it all. He describes himself at the beginning of this letter as a servant, someone who's called to be an apostle to Christ Jesus, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to belong to him. Y'all feel the humility inside of that. Here's a man who is truly marked by victory, communicating with people that he does not know, 
all of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. When you read Romans, think about that. Think about that tone um, as, you, as you get a sense of that. This early vision of Paul's to see the obedience of faith among the nations, this is our vision as a church. We want to see everyone, everywhere, and in every day relationship with Jesus. This vision of our church is ancient. It is what Paul himself espoused, and you feel this all the way through Romans. This letter was written in the last years of Paul's life. He would eventually be imprisoned in Rome and beheaded as a martyr by Emperor Nero around A.D. 64. Uh, this letter, now a book of the Bible, was most, Paul's most complete explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ. This letter showed up to the Roman church in a season of relative peace just a few years before that persecution that I was talking about. And so the gospel message in the book of Romans comes to this church before they are about to experience massive global upheaval and deep suffering. The gospel is power for endurance in that. Romans chapter 8 is the pinnacle of Paul's explanation of this game-changing good news. Every single one of these chapters, 1 through 7, it all ramps up into the glory of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, just in Incredible. When you read Romans 8, it is a feast, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you. So now that we've gotten a little bit of context, turn to your neighbor, give him a fist bump and said, we did it. All right, all right, y'all. That was, that, was, that was a race to get all of that stuff in there. Here's what I want to do, you guys. I want to go ahead and read verses 1 through 13 for us to get a sense of the, the word of God through the voice of the Apostle Paul as we continue. So would you join me every single campus and let's stand in the, in the honor uh, of reading God's word. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of spirit, Sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. All right, everyone. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 for just a quick second. Last weekend, Brad brought us this good news, which is basically this. If you've given your life to Jesus, 
If you have received Christ by faith, then now and forever, there is no condemnation for you and you are filled with the Spirit of God. That is the good news. That once you receive Jesus, boom, right then and forever, it is over. All the work for salvation has been accomplished. You are in Christ, no condemnation. You are filled with the Spirit. So this brings about a biblical word, a biblical concept called justification. Everybody say justification. All right. It's important for us to know this word because justification is what happened at the cross. It's this idea that you are declared um, not just not guilty, but innocent. Let me illustrate it like this. So how many of you guys, has anybody in here, anybody at any campus ever had student loans or maybe some medical bills or some other debt that just feels crippling? Anybody? Uh, yeah, that's just, just a couple of us here. Here's the deal. So imagine this. Imagine somebody calls you up on the phone and says, um, excuse me, ma'am, but uh, we, we're pleased to inform you that uh, your medical bills or your, your college debt, all of your debts have been paid and you now have a zero balance. That feels pretty good, right? Okay. And then uh, it's not just that, but the thought continues. And this person says, and not only that, we also are pleased to inform you that someone has just deposited $250 million in your bank account. Uh, that's, that's even better, right? That's really what Jesus did for us on the cross. This calculated debt that we had, this debt of sin, all of a sudden when he goes to the cross and dies in our place, boom, that debt is paid and now it's zero. But not just that. Into our account spiritually is infinite wealth. All of his perfections are now given to us. This is what justification is. Here's the definition if you want to write it down. Justification is the once for all declaration of innocent. This is what Jesus does for us at the cross. Another very important word uh, that's in the Bible is the word sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Here's the definition you can write down for it. Sanctification is the day-by-day work of the Spirit to make us more like Jesus. These two words together, justification and sanctification, paint a picture of what happened for us at salvation and what is happening for us the rest of our lives as our salvation is being perfected in us all the way to death when we finally are completed and enter eternity. So uh, that one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 10, 14, says that this way so concisely, it's just wonderful. Check this out. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This, it's the idea that justification, sanctification is what is beginning to happen to us. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Holy. It is confusing. It is a beautiful mystery. The work is finished and is being finished. Isn't that amazing? This is incredible to me. So now that we've kind of caught up on verses one through four of chapter eight, let's look at verses five through eight of Romans chapter eight. Check this out. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the flesh is the old me. 
It's the me that's driven to make myself God, to protect myself, to provide for myself, to manipulate everyone and everything on earth for my own selfish pleasure and gain. It's the ego. All that stuff on the inside of me, the old me, it all leads to death. These are mindsets that beget actions, that beget new, fresh mindsets, all that spiral downward. This is the bad news. This is the way that we are born into the world, immediately knowing all too well how to be completely and totally selfish. Parents, can I get an amen? You don't ever have to teach a child how not to share. I mean, this is something that we come into the world with. It is a deeply bleak picture. It's that internal rebellion that hates it when anyone ever tells us to do something that we don't want to do. I mean, the, if you're looking for a national anthem for this, that old, sound, old uh, song, Old Town Road, can't nobody tell me nothing. I mean, this is the theme song for the flesh, right? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the deeply self-motivated, self-interested part in us that is only after the appetites, um, you know, those kind of selfish desires, those kind of selfish things. It's totally impossible to have a relationship with God in that state. Totally impossible. And this is what that scripture is describing. We don't even need that scripture to describe it. This is what we all understand deeply in our own selves. It's like the flesh, the old me is just bent toward that, that kind of self-focused thing. I've got to be honest with you guys. If when I read verses 5 through 8, I'm not especially encouraged. Because I read it and I'm like, yeah, that's me. I wake up with that guy every day. I look that dude in the mirror all the time. And so, I mean, it, there's a little bit of despair that begins to rise up in, in me because of that downward spiral. And really, like, Paul's being hardcore here to set us up for some beautiful truth coming later on. But what he's trying to help us understand here is this, and you can write this down. Without Christ, we are full-on, death-destined enemies of God. Without Jesus, this is who we are. Without Christ, we are full-on, death-destined enemies of God. Bleak. But now look at the next verse, you guys. Verse 9. But, 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 the whole, the tires screech right here. We turn a corner and verse 9, everything changes right here. And this statement right here says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, his body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Y'all, when verse 9 shows up, I just feel the immediate relief. It's like we're talking about the flesh as least death. Boom. Yeah, I know that. And then here comes Paul saying, but that's not you. That's not you. When you gave your life to Jesus, everything changed. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This is a moment of acknowledgement that we are indwelt by the spirit and filled with indestructible life and power. Everybody at every campus, y'all lean in for a second because you need to hear this truth coming out of your own mouth. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So we're all going to repeat that together. Everybody buckle up. Here we go. Repeat after me. The same power power. that raised Jesus Jesus. from the dead dead. lives in me. me. One more time for the people in the back. The same power power. that raised Jesus Jesus. 
from the dead lives in me. If you are in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, this reality is true about you. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you battled this morning. I don't care about all the deep darkness that is just clawing at your brain at all times. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What beautiful news, y'all. That is worthy of a deep breath and an amen right there. You know what I'm saying? Look, y'all. What this guarantees for us is that you and I in Christ will never die. And even better news is that not only will we never die, but we have the promise of the Spirit inside us to change the things that we hate about ourselves. The things that when we remember old mistakes and old things that happen to us, we just cringe. I mean, the, the Spirit is given to us as a promise to begin to work that stuff out in us, you guys. This is a key not only to be able to live in freedom, but actually to begin to like the life that God gave you. Very, very important for the people of God to begin to agree with God about what he says about them. Most of the time, brothers and sisters, if you're being honest, you'll have a moment where you look in the mirror and all you've got for yourself is a whole bunch of self-hatred or self-loathing. It's a lie. Jesus Christ is pretty thrilled about what he has in store for you. And when he looks in the mirror through your own eyeballs, he's got maybe a different thing to say to you. Perhaps it's time, brothers and sisters, to start believing it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Write this down, you guys. This is a helpful statement. Not only is our eternity secure, but our everyday until eternity can be marked by victory. Psalm 84 is, is my favorite passage of scripture, my lifeblood. Psalm 84 verse 7 says it like this. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Strength to strength, not weakness to weakness or failure to failure. Strength to strength. God has a different plan for you than the flesh that is just set on death all the time. Amazing. Now, here's the thing. So the question still remains, even after all this assurance that the, I've got the, spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead inside of my body, that's there, but I still, why do I continue screwing things up from time to time? Why do I still take ills? Why do I still experience defeat if I'm supposed to be marked by victory? Well, I think perhaps that this is maybe something that, that's helpful. When I sin, it's not that I have in that moment lost my salvation. I've simply misplaced my identity. Let me, let me say this one more time. When I sin, it's not that I have lost my salvation. It's that I have misplaced my identity. How many of you guys have ever lost your driver's license or had it stolen or something else like that? I mean, you know, there's a couple hands in here. I'm sure at every campus this is the same thing. But listen, you guys. When you lost your driver's license, you didn't stop being you. You're still the same person. And when we sin, it is not a matter of us somehow, oh, well, I guess I'm not saved anymore. It's that we engaged in something that was beneath our dignity because we forgot who we are now. When you get saved, your whole identity begins to shift. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Verse, verse 12 seems to give some indication it leads us into some more practical things that we can do. So let's look at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
Paul introduces something here that is super helpful in knowing how to go to war against sin in the battle of the mind. He says, we are debtors. I think clearly he means debtors to Jesus. But this is a different kind of debt when you think about debt to Jesus. This is a love debt. This is a life-giving, kind of life-emanating debt. This is like the debt that I feel being married to my wife, Allie, is I don't feel like I owe her money. I feel like every day when I'm walking the house, love is what I owe her. Love is the thing that, that emanates through our home. This is the same kind of debt that we owe to Jesus. The other debt that we potentially pay is when we live in the flesh is we we feel obligated to that voice on the inside that says, hey, you need to go back and do that old sinful thing that makes you feel good for a moment, but the next morning makes you feel like trash for a week. That's a different kind of debt. What Paul is saying here is we are not debtors to the flesh anymore. We don't owe the flesh anything. And so when that old debt collector calls on the inside of your mind, when you're tempted to whatever that is, fill in the blank, you can hang up. It's a wrong number. You don't have to do that anymore. This is a part of the power that you have being filled by the Spirit. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. He gives this comparison statement. If you put to death, the, uh, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As a Christian, my eternity is secure. We know this, that we have the power, even as Christians, to bring death and destruction into our own lives. But remember again, this is just about forgetting who you are. This is forgetting who you are, guys. So the entire passage reveals this. You can write this down. Because of the spirit inside us, we have the power now to resist living like practical atheists. This idea of, I believe Jesus for my past, I believe Jesus for my future, but right now, I'm just kind of living life on my own. It's like God said, yeah, now you're saved, figure it out from here. That's not what the Lord is trying to communicate to you. When God saved you, he said, guess what? My spirit is gonna be in you and I will finish my work in you. I will complete what I began. That is beautiful. So when that old debt collection call comes in, you can say, wrong number. This echoes Paul's earlier statement in Romans chapter 6. Listen to this, y'all. This is so good. Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That old flesh boss is dead. You don't owe that voice anything. I got to tell you guys a story. When I was in my 20s, I struggled deeply with pornography and sexual sin. I was in the kind of downward spiral cycle that, that earlier in chapter 5 or uh, verse 5 says. It's like the, the mindset on the flesh is death. I was experiencing that on a daily basis and did not feel like I could get out of it. So I went to counseling to try and get some help for this. And the counselor gave me an illustration about being dead to sin that I've never forgotten. And it's always helped me when I think about the battle of the mind. He said this, okay, consider yourself dead to sin. Think about it this way, Lee. So imagine for a moment that you are at a funeral home and they're wheeling out a, uh, a casket out of the back. They're getting ready to, to put it in the, in the hearse. And you're in the casket and you're dead. So th- this is you in this illustration. And so as they're wheeling the casket onto the hearse, all of a sudden a SWAT team van pulls up and out of it are a bunch of these real scary dudes with well, you know, body armor and M16s and they push everybody out of the way and they throw open the lid of the casket and they point their guns in the casket at you and they say, get up or we'll shoot. He said, are you going to get up when they yell at you? And I was like, I guess not because I'm dead. <laughs> you guys see what, I, see what he was getting at for me was when the voice inside, when the desire inside, when that thing on the inside, when the flesh inside is just pulling you back into that old way of thinking and living, 
you now have the power to just lay there and not respond. Or you could even say, go back to hell where you came from. That's one way you can think about it. Kidspring has this teaching specifically down. The idea of taking thoughts captive, not having to respond to the old way. My daughter Lucy came out of Kidspring the other day. And she's like, guess what, Daddy? What do we do with bad thoughts come? And I was like, well, I don't know, sweetheart. She said, catch it, check it, change it. Catch it, check it, change it. Way to go, Kidspring. Teaching us the concept. I mean, this is amazing. So this concept, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's power right there. Catch it, check it, change it. Look, you guys, the battle for the mind is so difficult. It takes time. This is a long journey of like learning how to do these things. Really practically, I just want to tell you, this is where for me, memorizing scripture, hiding it in my heart, I don't, hide, I don't memorize scripture to somehow make myself more holy or be a better pastor. I memorize scripture because I am weak inside my own mind. And when I look at those pages, it's like I see life in them and I'm like, I, I have to have that. In that, in that season of time when I was really struggling, you know, just the battle for lust in, inside my own mind, I started to memorize Psalm 16, just one little verse at a time. And when those thoughts would come in, I was like, oh, I hate this. I would say, preserve me, oh God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And all of a sudden, it's like the peace comes back and the clarity of my mind comes back in. And I don't feel that dark heaviness that sometimes would just roll in. Prayer. I mean, the ability to talk to a friend who is always there. God, will you please help me? I mean, like... I mean, that learning to pray was, was a reaction to just failing all the time. But these spiritual disciplines, as important as they are, they don't, they don't do the whole, the whole bit. We were made to live in community with one another. Which is why I just, we beg you every single week, go to connect, get involved in a group, you know, come and serve. Not because like somehow the church needs help, but, but when you get connected with people, when you become friends with people who are friends with God, all of a sudden it's not that you just remember who you are, you remember who we are. And there is far greater depth of protection and life and joy inside of that. Look y'all, the key to holiness and purity it's not just trying to do better. It's not just trying to, you know, not sin. The key to purity and holiness is joy. The key to purity and holiness is the enjoyment of God in his people, in life, in every meal that you share with another believer when you're like, I can't believe Jesus is so good. Can you believe it? And you savor each and every moment. You were made for joy. You were made for it. And that old flesh way of living is just trying to rob your bank every single day. But guess what, everybody? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You were marked for victory, you guys. You were marked for it. It's what you were made for. And New Spring Church... With all my heart, I have to tell you, you are going to be a great success in your life. You will be marked by victory. Defeat will have no lasting grip on you because God 
will finish what he has begun in you. Be encouraged. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. You are impossibly rich and generous to us, God. Impossibly rich and generous. And in this moment, we just need to hear your voice more than anything else. And so everybody, at the end of most gatherings, we ask these two questions. What is God saying to you and what do you need to do about it? And so I want to put those in front of you right now and encourage you to take out your phone, to take some notes or something and write down what you feel like God might be whispering to you. We're going to take just a couple of seconds in quiet to listen and do that. Father, would you speak now as we open our ears to hear you? Take just a moment in quiet. What's God saying to you? Somebody is hearing the voice of God communicate, I love you, perhaps for the first time. In this moment, you can trust what you're hearing. Just write it down. What's God saying to you? What do you what's, that, what's that decision you know you need to make that you have now the power to make? What's he saying to you? Write that down. What's he trying to tell you? What's that insight that he's giving you about something that's coming up in your work life next week? What does he want you to know? God, I thank you that you're a God who speaks and that you've made us to be a people who can hear. Help us now, Holy Spirit, as we respond. As we respond to you. Every campus, would you stand? Would you stand and... Ministry teams, I want to invite you guys forward, along with any New Spring staff members who just come and make your way uh, around the front and around the building. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, I wanted to leave a, lead us into a time of genuine response. This is, a, this is a moment to where something perhaps different can happen. I know all too well the routine of Sunday can just come right around again. You can come and show up to church, sing a song or two, listen to the message, and then walk right out the back with nothing really being changed. I, I want you to know I think God's got something different for you today. And so this altar is open. It is time today for you to come and finally kneel, finally get things right, to physically move your body into a posture where you're saying, look, today's going to be different. I'm, I'm living different from now on. So what's God moving you to do? There's a married couple. There's probably a married couple. There's a married couple somewhere that needs to come and kneel at the front and receive some healing. You guys need to submit yourselves to God and just say, yeah. God, we've been living in the flesh. We've been angry at each other. We've been fighting, but we just got to submit to you, Lord, and let you heal us. This is your moment. Don't wait. Just step out of your aisle and come forward and kneel. Come forward and receive prayer. Several years ago, I, I uh, just a couple of years ago, I was um, at our Greenville campus at the convention center. And I can remember being just in a place where I was like, God, I want, I just want more of you. I want more. 
I want more. And at the invitation, I can remember Gene Hawkins was standing down front, Papa Gene. And I was like, I, I work at New Spring. I'm a professional Christian, but I need, to, I need to take full advantage of this moment for me. And so I just, I walked down front and I was like, Gene, I just want more. And he laid his hands on me and prayed for me and something shifted that day for me. So I just want to invite you, if you just want more, come down front and let somebody pray for you, lay their hands on you, and, and perhaps give you a fresh feeling of the spirit that maybe you've been needing in this moment. Just come forward, ask for more, ask him for more. I didn't feel prompted about this in the first service, but I do for this service right now. It, it, you know, on every campus right now, if you, are, if you are physically ill and you need and you need healing, you want healing, I want to invite you to step out into the aisle and come forward and let somebody lay their hands on you and pray for you. Is it, it's time. Maybe you've prayed a hundred times and nothing has happened. Let's try one more time today. And let somebody lay hands on you, pray for you, communicate God's love to you. It's time. What's God saying? If you just feel like you have been in a rut, in a pattern of losing the battle of the mind, man, I just want, I just want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray that you would help us all together learn to think differently. Would you grant us grace for a step of faith today that would change everything? We need a fresh encounter with you, God. Help us, Lord. Mm. Praise the Lord. I know there are people probably at every campus to one degree or another that are praying down front. But this is our moment, you guys, even as prayers are happening, even as people are coming forward to receive prayer. This is our moment to remember that we are a people of victory. That Jesus Christ won a victory and now we are not fighting for it. We are fighting from it. And we ourselves get to shine this glory of God wherever we go. It is time for you to begin to believe about yourself what God believes about you. That you are someone filled with the Spirit of God. That you are someone who is made in the image of God. That you have something valuable to bring to the table. That your life is more than just what you do. You are not what you do for a living. That you are an ambassador. You are a sent one into that place of work where you are to be able to bring about change for the kingdom of God. And so let's pray together, brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you have done today. We give you praise and honor and great glory. 
And would you now, even as we begin to close this time of worship, as we begin to close this service, would you anchor this new way of thinking, this new way of living inside of our hearts? Help us to understand that we are marked by victory, that whenever we look in the mirror, we can begin to think your thoughts about our own lives. Thank you, God, for putting your spirit inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, would you just help me welcome a local leader from your campus who's going to come out on the stage now. Amen.